Monday, March the 6th. You're listening to News Wrap with me, Anna Marie Evans. And I'm Ben Che. In tonight's program, Chief, Chief Executive John Lee says the head of the Hong Kong and Macau Affairs Office told his government to do more to protect national security. We will definitely crack down on any forces trying to undermine national security or breach the peace of Hong Kong society or hurt Hong Kong's overall interests. The Labour Department initiates prosecutions over last year's fatal crane collapse at an Anderson Road construction site. Ties between Japan and South Korea warm thanks to an agreement over compensation for victims of forced wartime labour. And in sport, Liverpool deal Manchester United their worst loss in nearly a century. That's all coming up next on News Wrap. Chief Executive John Lee says top Beijing official Xiao Baolong has called on Hong Kong to tackle possible threats against national security. The chief executive also says Mr Xiao endorsed the work of the SAR government. Violet Wong has more. The chief executive spoke to reporters after returning from Beijing, where he attended the opening session of the National People's Congress. John Lee said he met with the director of the Hong Kong and Macau Affairs Office, Xia Baolong, in the capital. Mr. Lee said the senior Beijing official reminded him that national security risks remain in the SAR and the government must stay vigilant. The CSS administration will step up efforts in risk assessment and intelligence gathering. We will definitely crack down on any forces trying to undermine national security or breach the peace of Hong Kong society or hurt Hong Kong's overall interests and hold them legally responsible under the law. The CE also says Mr. Xia recognized the work of the SAR government in the past eight months. He quoted the mainland official as saying that he was happy that the administration has showed a sense of responsibility in working for the people. Mr. Lee added that President Xi Jinping also expressed his concern and encouragement for Hong Kong as he seeks to boost the economy and improve people's livelihoods. The Labour Department says it has initiated dozens of prosecutions over a fatal crane collapse last September. The disaster at a construction site on Anderson Road killed three people and injured six others. Vanessa Cheng has more. The Labour Department said it has completed an investigation into the incident in which the crane came crashing down onto several containers serving as makeshift offices at the Housing Society site in Sao Maoping. The department found that a welded joint had been pulled apart, causing the crane to fall. It said that, after consulting the Department of Justice, it has initiated 67 prosecutions against contractors, subcontractors and a number of individuals. The crane collapse claimed the lives of three workers and injured six. Labour officials added that they have inspected construction sites with cranes across the city in a bid to curb any unsafe operations. The Transport Commissioner says the government is considering tightening health check requirements for commercial drivers. It follows a traffic accident in Fortress Hill yesterday involving an 84-year-old taxi driver. Maggie Ho reports. Speaking on a commercial radio program, Rosanna Law said while old age does not necessarily mean poor health, checks can reveal any underlying problems. Right now, commercial drivers who are 70 or over have to do a health check every one to three years when they renew their license. We're looking at whether there's room to adjust the age or frequency requirement. 
But the Transport Commissioner also pointed out that the number of traffic accidents involving older motorists is not particularly higher than the number involving younger people. And the government has no plan to put a cap on the age of commercial drivers. People can be old but healthy and strong, she said. And some people have to keep driving to make ends meet. Meanwhile, Nguyen Singh, who chairs the Taxi Dealers and Owners Association, urged the government to promote regular health checks for all drivers. It can work with trade associations or other drivers' groups to promote body checks, Mr. Ng told an RTHK program, adding that underlying illnesses don't exist only at a certain age. DAB legislator Ben Chen, for his part, says the government should lower the age requirement for mandatory health screening to drive aged 65 and above. A man who's accused of trying to help one of the suspects in the murder of model Abby Choi Flee Hong Kong has appeared in court. He's been freed on bail ahead of his court, next court appearance in May. Violet Wong reports. 41-year-old Lam Shun appeared in Kowloon City Court. The defendant, who works at a yacht company, was released on bail and is due back in court on May the 8th. He is charged with assisting Choi's ex-husband, Alex Kwong, with an alleged bid to escape to Macau by yacht on the 24th of last month. Choi's former husband is in custody, along with his brother and father, after the trio were charged with murdering the socialite, whose dismembered body was discovered last month. The ICAC has reported a 19% drop in corruption complaints last year. It says Hong Kong's graft situation remains well under control, as Maggie Ho reports. The ICAC recorded an across-the-board drop in the number of complaints it received in 2022. There were 1,835 corruption complaints unrelated to elections, down 19% from 2021. Among them, more than 1,400 cases were pursuable. The ICAC says the civil service and public bodies remain generally clean and honest, with the number of complaints involving government bureaus and departments down by 17% to 533. Complaints concerning the private sector fell by 20% to 1,181. Sectors that drew the most complaints were building management, construction, finance and insurance. The anti-graft body says the decrease in overall complaints may have to do with a slowdown in economic activities among the pandemic. And there were 135 complaints relating to the election committee subsector elections, the legislative council polls, the chief executive election and the rural representative election. The ICAC also announced in his annual report that it will set up an international anti-corruption academy to provide training for local and overseas law enforcement agencies, as well as the local, public and private sectors. Mainland authorities have described last year's economic progress as very impressive in the face of a turbulent external financial environment. The National Development and Reform Commission, or NDRC, says the growth momentum is in line with Premier Li Keqiang's projection of a 5% growth in 2023 and that it has full confidence it could achieve this target. Kelly Yu reports from Beijing. A vice chairman of the NDRC, Zhao Chenxing, told a press conference in Beijing during the outgoing NPC session that the nation's GDP in 2022 had reached a new level. He was commenting on the 3% growth year-on-year to over 120 trillion yuan, describing it as equivalent to the annual GDP increase of a medium-sized country. 
Mr. Zhao said the recovery of people and goods mobility is speeding up, and that other economic metrics have been stable. Against the backdrop of a 40-year high of global inflation, China's prices have been stable. The year-round CPI growth was 2% only. 12.06 million new urban jobs were created, exceeding our target for 2022. GDP, CPI, employment, and international payments are the most important indicators. So if we look at those indicators, China has been very outstanding. His comments come as some analysts voice concern that it may be difficult for the country to reach the projected 5% GDP growth for 2023 as the country emerges from the pandemic. But Mr. Zhao said that growth target is in line with current economic momentum, adding that the country will tackle risks related to property, finance and local government debt. Another vice chairman of the state planner, Li Chenning, told the same briefing that consumption is expected to be the main driver of the nation's economic growth this year. He said some major indicators are likely to pick up gradually in the first half of the year, and that the NDRC will introduce policies to boost demand. Hong Kong stocks have recovered from a slow start to begin the week higher after Beijing set a modest economic growth target of 5% for 2023, undercutting expectations of big stimulus. The Hang Seng Index climbed 0.17% or 35 points to 20,603. South Korea has announced plans to compensate victims of Japan's forced wartime labor without Tokyo's direct involvement. Local civilian funds will be raised to compensate them who won damages in lawsuits against Japanese firms during Tokyo's rule of the Korean Peninsula from 1910 to 1945. South Korean Foreign Minister Park Jin says the landmark deal is key to improving ties between the two countries and ushered in what he described as a real beginning. This solution took the initiative in resolving this issue to match our country's heightened national power and national prestige. It is an expression of the government's willingness to not neglect the issue, but take responsibility for the pain of our people caused by the issue in the past. We offer the victims practical alternatives and also a new effort to remember the past. I think this is not the end of resolving the issue, but the real beginning. Critics of the plan say they want financial compensation and an apology directly from the Japanese companies involved. A huge fire has ripped through a refugee camp in South Bangladesh, leaving an estimated 12,000 people without homes. The blaze happened at Cox's Bazaar, which is home to more than a million Rohingya refugees who fled persecution in neighbouring Myanmar. Yasin Abdunonab is a Rohingya refugee and journalist living in the camp. There was a huge fire disaster happened in Balukali camp. So uh, it was around you know, 2.45 uh, p.m. in the afternoon. So I was inside my shelter. I was just playing with my baby inside my shelters. And then people were shouting outside of the shelters that there were uh, fire and people were shouting, screaming. And, and, there is a, and then I just came out of my shelters and saw a huge no fire smoke was just growing uh, overflow and bigger and bigger. Old people, sick people, and women, men all were, you know, uh, coming out, coming out of the shelters, and they were trying their best to escape the fire. Uh, you know, the fire surrounded all of the refugees in Balukali camp. 
The Greek Prime Minister has asked for forgiveness over the country's worst-ever train crash, which has prompted further protests in the capital, Athens. 57 people died in Tuesday's collision between a passenger train and a freight train near Larissa. Joining striking rail workers and protesters, the leader of the Railway Drivers Union, Kostas Genidunias, said warnings had been ignored. Despite the continuous warnings of the workers, there was criminal indifference by those responsible to our requests over the safety systems, and that's what led to this tragic accident. No one is feeling good at the moment. It's a tragic situation for the whole of society, not just for the workers. Greek journalist Antti Karasava has more details from Athens. Since the tragic train crash, which is the deadliest uh, in living uh, memory here, rolling protests have gripped Greece uh, with demonstrators, largely youth and, uh, and railway employees, uh, venting their anger and frustration at the state for what they say is a repeated show of negligence concerning major infrastructure projects. And that is what this frustration is really uh, all about. We're bound to see these protests continue um, and many uh, political parties to actually support them. As we've seen, leftist parties are out there rallying with a lot of these demonstrators saying we're untouched by these apologies, which the prime minister is giving. Beyond the human tragedy of what we saw, this tragic, horrific accident, uh, this, uh, this crash has sent shockwaves across the nation when many of people have just realized that their sole uh, net, uh, railway network has effectively been operating for decades blind without effective security measures in place, security uh, measures and uh, systems that have been purchased mm. and paid for by taxpayers. To the latest in the war in Ukraine, the deputy mayor of the besieged eastern city of Bakhmut says not a single building had remained untouched and that the city is almost destroyed. Bakhmut has seen months of fighting and is now almost totally encircled by Russian forces, with roads leading to the city under constant fire from two sides and with snipers in the streets. Accessing Bakhmut has become ever more perilous for rescue teams. One person who has had access to the city in recent weeks is the Canadian volunteer Daniel Wilk who'd been evacuating people there and from the surrounding villages. He was in Bakhmut over a week ago. It's pretty well impossible to get in there because the police have barred people from going in there. Now it's only military taking people out. Plus, the last bridge is blown up, so I don't even know how they're getting in and out of there. There's two bridges left. One is blown up, and the other one is on a road that's so destroyed. It's shelled so hard that you can't drive down there unless you want some serious problems. The people that are staying there aren't, aren't there defended. They're poor and old and, and decrepit, or and maybe there's a couple children, but really it's just mostly super old people. They're just staying there because they just want their homes. Months ago, I'd say we were getting everybody out, younger families, children, but most of the time it's just really old, primarily women. It's amazing how often it's just old women, and either they finally request that we, we can get them, or else their families request that we can get them. Someone just sends me a pin of where these people are. I look on the maps to see if it's safe to go there, or if the Russians are there, and then I start going in that direction, find them, grab their things, throw my truck, and just drive it as fast as I can. Pretty well just out, out of the range of artillery. 
U.S. President Joe Biden has visited the city of Selma in the state of Alabama to mark the 58th anniversary of police beating peaceful protesters who were marching for voting rights for African Americans. Footage of the violence shocked the country and led to Congress introducing new voting legislation. But Mr. Biden says voting rights are still threatened. Selma is a reckoning. The right to vote, the right to vote, to have your vote counted is the threshold of democracy and liberty. With it, anything's possible. Without it, without that right, nothing is possible. And this fundamental right remains under assault. Mr. Biden has urged Congress to adopt major electoral reform, but it has been blocked by Republicans. Joe Watkins is a civil rights advocate and former aide to President George W. Bush. He explains why this proposed legislation is needed. There's still need for a strong voting rights legislation. One, of course, makes Election Day a holiday so that people have no reason not to vote. The idea is to get as many Americans to the polls as possible. We know that in other countries around the world, there's close to uh, 80, 90 percent uh, turnout on Election Day. We don't yet have that in the United States, so that would help that to happen. And then with regards to the John Lewis Act, that would strengthen voting rights. It, it has punitive measures. If states don't report properly, uh, they can be punished. Uh, for not doing so. So it has real teeth in it. It's a way of forcing the states to comply with the federal regulations so that people have the right to vote. United Nations member states have finally struck a landmark deal to protect the world's oceans after more than a decade of negotiations. The High Seas Treaty is designed to safeguard oceans that lie outside national boundaries. The treaty will put limits on fishing activity, shipping lane routes, and exploration such as deep-sea mining. Green groups have called it a historic agreement to protect biodiversity and save thousands of species at risk of extinction. But marine scientist Rebecca Helm one of the delegates at the conference, says there's still a lot of work ahead. The high seas were its own planet. It would be bigger than Mars. It represents nearly half of Earth's surface. So imagine the amount of work that must go into protecting such a massive space. It is really, really challenging to do. There's so much that we depend on in the high seas, lots to consider. So very important to take it slow and to get it done right. Rebecca Hubbard is director of the High Seas Alliance, a group of more than 40 marine conservation organisations. This is enormous. This is the biggest thing for the ocean that we have seen in years. It literally will bring ocean governance of the high seas into the 21st century. And it's taken decades to get to this moment, but it is the beginning. And whilst it's incredibly exciting, it's basically just giving us the power that we need to really protect the ocean. The high seas are the ocean and seas beyond national waters. So governments generally manage the sea up to 200 nautical miles out, and then the rest is the high seas. So it makes up two-thirds of the global ocean or half of the planet. With the new high seas treaty, essentially governments from around the world will be able to protect large areas of that ocean and also be able to better manage the activities that are impacting on it every day. That's Rebecca Hubbard from the High Seas Alliance.
Back locally, the Hong Kong Bird Watching Society says the use of reflective materials and in new infrastructure in this city is causing more birds to collide with buildings. The group recorded about 200 such cases in the final three months of last year, and more than 90% of them were fatal. Surfaces made of glass can reflect natural landscapes like trees, creating an illusion for birds. The society's conservation officer, Wong Sutmei, says requiring buildings to use anti-collision materials could help resolve the problem. She spoke to RTHK's Vanessa Cheng. Because birds cannot see the glass as a barrier and they often hit the window because they thought that the image in the glass reflects a kind of their habitat and so they will hit the windows and they may uh, injured or died. So what kind of surfaces may lead to more bird collisions? Mostly the mirrored surface or some glass surface of the high-rise building or even a shopping mall and in private houses just because there are glass or mirror surfaces. So how many buildings in Hong Kong have a high risk? I think recently the buildings are very often they will use glass and some mirror structures as the outer design, maybe because of the modernization style or, or something. But in the business area in Kowloon Bay or in North Point, we have a lot of cases that are related to the new commercial buildings that made of large, extensive mirror glass or reflective surface. This is a really big trap to birds because they will be faked by the unreal image they see in the glass. So actually there are numerous buildings in Hong Kong have walls made of glass or reflective materials and especially some new infrastructure as you mentioned. So are there any ways to prevent birds hitting the windows? Yeah, I think uh, if this is a new building, it is very good that they can early adopt building designs that are favorable for birds and that they can reduce the use of the glass and also mirrors uh, materials. For an old building, the, the only way it will be to uh, do some preventive measures like uh, stick the anti-collision stickers. So how are other countries doing to prevent birds hitting the windows? Are there any countries that we can take reference on? Uh, in New York, uh, they have a law introduced to restrict all the buildings that are made of glass or mirror materials below certain level. They have to adopt anti-bird collisions materials. It is a mandatory measure. Although Hong Kong is quite a lag behind, but we can still start now. It's The time is now 22 past 6 and sports is next. And we start in the English Premier League, where Liverpool have smashed their bitter rivals. Liverpool destroyed Manchester United 7-0 at Anfield. The host led 1-0 at the break. In the second half, Mo Salah scored twice to become the Reds' all-time top scorer in the Premier League. Cody Gakpo grabbed his second of the match. Darwin Nunes also scored twice before that seventh and final goal from fan favourite Roberto Firmino. Jurgen Klopp's side are now fifth in the table, three points behind Tottenham for the final Champions League place with a game in hand. Well, it sounds like a day from another season, like it doesn't fit really in this season so far, so um, 
even better it feels in the moment because it's so incredibly important for us. We need results. We need results. We need performances. And tonight we got both um, super performance from the start. From the start, a super performance. That's Manchester United's worst defeat since 1931. Manager Eric Ten Hag called it a reality check for his team. We didn't stick to the plan. We lose our heads. Um, and and we, didn't our, uh, we didn't do our jobs. And the defence transition. And you know how good they are in transition. <laughs> but we're just not running with our, our opponents. We didn't track back. And that's really unprofessional. Elsewhere, Everton missed a chance to move out of the relegation zone after host Nottingham Forest fought back twice to force a two-all draw. Forest manager Steve Cooper felt Everton's second goal came from a disputed free kick. He went on to complain about the standard of Premier League referees. I don't say this cynically and sarcastically. I do think this is where it's at a little bit. I know right at the start of the season it was about an inexperienced group of refs and a bit of patience and, and things like that. And today's referee hasn't done that many Premier League games, I don't think, which was a little bit of why is he on this one, you know. So I do think that's a little bit of where it's at. But at the same time, that's one thing. We've got to make sure that there's, there's progress made. So it's not so much for what I do, it's what what's done sort of in the um, in the referees department. In Spain, Barcelona have opened a nine-point advantage at the top of La Liga. The BBC's Andy Barwell rounds up the results. Barcelona's lead at the top of the table stands at nine points after today's action. Barcelona had to cling on with ten men to beat relegation-threatened Valencia 1-0 at Camp Nou. Rafinha's first half header put them in front. Aaron Torres missed a penalty, while in the late kickoff game, Real Madrid were held to a goalless draw at Real Betis. Real Valladolid defeated Espanyol 2-1, and it was goalless in the game between Raya Vallecano and Athletic Bilbao. In golf, Kurt Kitayama has won the Arnold Palmer Invitational after a competitive finish at the Bay Hill course in Florida. The American finished on nine under par, enough to win by one shot over Harris, English and Rory McIlroy. I think just, you know, a little bit of luck kind of finally went my way. And, you know, when it's when it's that close at the top, that's what you need. And, um, you know, anyone... I probably could have won it, and uh, luckily it just happened to be me. Max Verstappen started his Formula One title defence with victory in the season-opening Bahrain Grand Prix. The Red Bull ace led from start to finish. It was watched by the BBC's Jack Nichols. Verstappen absolutely dominated the Grand Prix, pulling away in the early stages and never looking back. There was an interesting fight on for second with Sergio Perez and Charles Leclerc, but that died when Leclerc's Ferrari did, coming out of turn 13, meaning he didn't get to the end of the race. So the star was Fernando Alonso. He started fifth, got hit by his teammate and dropped back to eighth, but managed some audacious moves on Hamilton and Sainz to come through and finish in third position, only his fourth podium in the last decade. But the pace at the front for Verstappen looks ominous. NBA now in a battle between two former stars of the Brooklyn Nets, Kevin Durant and the Phoenix Suns got the better of Kyrie Irving of the Dallas Mavericks. Durant scored, thir- scored 37 points for the Suns, including the go-ahead basket in their 130-126 to win over the Mavs. The Nets traded the two players away last month. Durant had this to say about playing against his former teammates. No emotions at all. It's another game. Like I told somebody earlier, I played most most of my career. I played against Kyrie, so I, I, he was on my team for the last couple of years. But majority of my career, I played against him, so I know how I feel. 
And finally, for those of you who might feel guilty about having a lie-in, American author Jason Heller felt that work was encroaching so much on his leisure time that he and his wife Angie decided they would make a determined effort to do nothing. The BBC's Judy Frankel reports. It was during COVID that Jason and Angie decided to do something about their work-life balance. It just really got to the point where with both of us working remotely from home that the line had just been completely obliterated between what our work time, what our leisure time was. And it was a way of trying to set those boundaries back. But they didn't book a holiday to the Caribbean or take out an expensive gym membership or make lunch dates with friends. So what did they do? I could sum it up in one word, nothing. We make it more or less a policy um, that we do not get out of bed right away, aside from making some coffee maybe when we wake up. We're going to try to ease into the day by just lying in bed and watching some television or a movie before we even get up and about for any real reason. And although at first friends and family thought they were being selfish, Jason is convinced that having one day a week doing nothing has huge benefits and has improved his marriage. I can just be completely inert and this is okay and maybe even biologically we're made to be that way. Of course, this may not be practical for everyone, particularly if you have children. But Jason says we should all give it a go, even if it's just for half a day here and there. Anything that's a conscious cessation of movement for a little bit, and it allows you to connect and communicate with people around you. These days, it feels like we really have to stop and draw a line somewhere. Onto the weather, fine and dry, minimum temperature will be about 17 degrees Celsius. Warm during the day with a maximum temperature of around 24 degrees, moderate easterly winds, occasionally fresh offshore at first. Outlook, mainly fine in the following few days. Visibility relatively low in the middle and latter parts of this week. It'll be rather warm during the day. Current temperature, 21 degrees Celsius, humidity 45%. The red fire danger warning is in effect. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a journey by a journey which along the way will bring to you new color, new dimension, new value, and a new experience. This is Sunset Sounds with Simon Wilson.
Planet Monday from the Bangles kicking off this Monday the 6th of March 2023. I'm Simon Wilson keeping you company through until 9. It is Clock and Flat Decompression Monday. Hey! Between now and 9 we've got a few quirky stories. We've got to check, check out the birthday files, see what happened this day in history. What else are we going to do? We've got a survey, a couple of solid gold soul sounds for sunset, do our general knowledge quiz questions and play as many of your requests as we can squeeze in let's have a look and see what is happening oh 11 days till the world turns green for st patrick's day 25 days till hong kong sevens 31 until easter weekend begins 135 till the women's world cup 294 till christmas and 301 till we greet a brand new year what is happening today? It is World Spelling Day. Oh, we'll, go, we'll come to that later. Got some cracking words to try and spell for World Spelling Day, of course. In the UK, it's National Dress Day. The celebration of wearing dresses takes place. People are encouraged to wear dresses for the day and post a photo on social media. European Day of the Righteous commemorates those who've stood up against crimes against humanity. In the US, it's Stone Pottery Appreciation Day. Stoneware pot pottery. Who loves to look a bit of stoneware, eh? I just look at ghosts. Uh, 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 let's see. In the US also, it's National...